chapter 11. Next month, uh, beginning at the first Sunday of the month, we're going to go into a study of the Gospel of Matthew. And I decided that I would wait till the beginning of December to do that because, of course, in the first part of Matthew, we learn about the birth of Christ. And that will put us right on track as we go into Christmas. Matthew is a very evangelistic gospel. And we'll have lots of opportunities to speak about how uh, God wants us to tell other people about the gospel of Christ. And in the book of Matthew, we'll see the example that Jesus gave, who was the greatest of all evangelists, how he went out and he uh, gave people his own gospel. Jesus preached some very great sermons. There were people who came to hear Jesus. They, they had the opportunity to sit at his feet and to learn from him. He attracted some crowds. Jesus called some people out, and he asked them to follow him. And today I'd like to ask you the question, have you heard his call? Has Jesus spoken to you personally? Now, you don't have, of course, the opportunity to hear Jesus speak to you audibly, not like people did in the first century. But I do promise you this, if you have heard Jesus' call, and if you have answered that call, then it is as real to you as I'm speaking to you today. I want you to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John. Here we're breaking into the middle of a story about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And most of you are very familiar with this. Uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were good friends of Jesus. They were very close to him doing his ministry. And in fact, uh, verse number 3 in this chapter tells us that very clearly that Lazarus was a man that Jesus loved. And you might think, well, why make a distinction like that? I mean, we're used to saying all of the time that Jesus loves everybody. Why would I say that Jesus loved Lazarus? Well, there's actually a lot of theology that's behind that, but we'll leave it at this today, that Jesus had personal relationships with people just like you have personal relationships. And there were some people that uh, Christ had personal interactions with And these are some people, Lazarus being one of them, Mary and Martha, his sisters also. They were people that Jesus loved very dearly. Jesus received word that Lazarus was sick. And instead of coming to heal Lazarus right away, Jesus waited. In fact, he waited until Lazarus died from that sickness. And the reason that Jesus did that was so that he could teach a very powerful lesson about the resurrection. I'm not going to deal with the resurrection today. Uh, We studied that extensively just a few weeks ago. Today I want to draw another point from this in in relation to the gospel of Christ. So if you look at uh, John chapter 11, please, let's stand as we read God's word. And we'll begin reading today at verse number 18. John chapter 11, verse number 18. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. Of course, Bethany is the place where... Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And, of course, that's because Lazarus had died. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. 
Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word today. And we're so thankful, Lord, for those who have come today to hear your word preached. Help us, Lord, to understand this call that Jesus has given to all of us. May we very clearly see this in our own lives, how you have called us. Bless in the message today. Bless our people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to look for you to look at verses 28 and 29 once again. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Next month, when we get into the Gospel of Matthew, we'll see this wonderful truth that Jesus has come into the world. The Son of God came into the world. Truly, we can say the Master has come. And that's the wonderful truth of the message of the gospel that all of us need to hear, and that is to understand Jesus has come. Now, many of you may recognize Jesus or think about him as a, a baby in the manger, and that's what we do around Christmas time. Some of you have seen pictures or you, you have seen crucifixes or whatever it is, and maybe you have an image in your mind of Jesus hanging on a cross. And you're very familiar with this fact that Jesus did come into the world. But the important truth of the passage that I want you to see today is that he came and he calls for you. Just like Martha said to Mary, he calls for you. Now there's a personal message that we find in the call of Jesus. When Jesus calls, what is his purpose? Now let's begin with this today, that first of all he gives a call of salvation. It's a very simple outline that I have for you this morning. Uh, There aren't any tricks in this. There's nothing unusually clever that I'm going to say today. This is just a very simple message. And we begin with the fact that when Jesus came into the world, he came first of all with a desire and a declaration of salvation. He said in Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. I suppose probably the biggest hindrance that there is to the gospel of Christ is for people to realize that they're lost. Without Jesus, they're lost. Now, many of you may not feel lost today. You're very aware of your surroundings. Uh, When you leave the building, you'll, you'll probably not have any trouble at all finding your way home. You know, I, I, I don't really have any trouble finding my way home. It's just when I go places, sometimes I forget where I parked the car. And uh, it's nothing like, you know, going into the mall and going in there to shop for a little while and coming outside and find, you can't find where your car is. Well, I'm not talking about being lost in that way. Uh, I'm sure that you're fully aware of where you are. You're not going to get lost. You're not going to lose your car in our parking lot. And if you do, I'll, I'll go help you find it. But I'm speaking here today about a relationship that we have with Almighty God. And I'm talking about this factor, are you sure about your soul? Are you able to say with full assurance that if I were to die tonight, I know absolutely for sure that I will be in heaven? And when the Bible talks about people being lost, it talks about in the relationship that they have with Jesus Christ. 
Uh, it talks about a person being a sinner. And the Bible teaches that the wrath of God is upon people who don't know Christ as their Savior. So when Jesus came into the world, he came to give, first of all, a call for sinners. That was his purpose as he came. He came to call sinners. And friend, I want to tell you this morning that that means you. The Master calls for you. The Bible teaches that all people are sinners. And so that means that salvation is for every single person in this room today. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter whether you're highly religious or you have absolutely no religion at all, the Bible says that all of us are sinners. Paul said this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You're all familiar with it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we can get that fact out of the way very quickly. All of us are sinners. And if Jesus came to save sinners, that means that he came to save everybody. In fact, this means that there is no person in this world who cannot be saved. If they will just admit the fact that they have sinned, if they will come to Christ for salvation from their sins, Jesus will save them. And so in that sense, Jesus calls every single person in this room today. And the fact that you will not be saved is not because God does not desire salvation. It's not because the gospel is not an invitation for you, because it certainly is. Anyone who desires Christ may come to him. Now the problem is that we need to know and believe that we're sinners. Now I've met many people who've said, well, I I do understand that. I know what you're talking about. I I am a sinner but I'm really not all that much of a sinner. I mean, I, I'm, really not, I'm really not too bad. I, I'm just a pretty good person. And there's no doubt that there's not a single person in the room today that you could think of somebody that's worse than you. You pick up your paper and you read there about murderers, and every day we read about rapists and their child molesters and their bank robbers. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes on in the world that you're not guilty of. But there are some things, in fact, that we are guilty of. And one of them, just a very simple one that I'd ask you a question, have you ever told a lie? You know, some people say, well, I'm not all that bad of a sinner. And I had someone in my office just a few weeks ago that made the very statement to me. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm not really all that bad of a sinner. And so I asked this person, have you ever told a lie? And... uh, If you would admit it, and many liars won't, of course, we've all told lies. And not only have we told one lie, but we've told multiple lies throughout our lifetimes. What does the Bible say about liars? In Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and, what does it say? All liars. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now there's the list for us. Lying is listed right up there with the murderers and the idolaters. And what that tells us is that lying will send you to hell just as quickly as going next door and shooting your neighbor in the head. All of us are sinners, and you needn't think that you can look to somebody else who's worse than you and think that you're not a sinner. You see, all of us are under the just condemnation of God, and that's because we've broken God's commandments. And neither you nor anyone else has ever kept all of God's commandments perfectly, and yet that is exactly what God demands from us. 
And God says that there is a penalty upon everyone who does not keep his commandments. And that penalty is death in the everlasting fires of hell. So you needn't look to the right or the left today and think that you're all right, that the gospel is for somebody else. The gospel is for some other sinner who's worse than I am. Because, in fact, the Bible teaches he calls for you. He calls for you because you are also a sinner. Then let me also point out that Jesus gives a call for seekers. Now, today we talk about seeker churches, and perhaps you've heard that term. There are churches that tailor their ministries to what they call the seekers. And what they mean is that what they want to do is to make the church a place where you won't feel out of place when you go to church. I mean, they desire to have an environment that's not much different from the environment that you came from. And so people can come to church, they can ease in comfortably to the, whatever the church is doing, and so they satisfy that religious desire. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about somebody who's seeking to put a new face on an ugly body. And I'm not talking about someone who, who desires to reform their lives. I'm talking about people who are seeking to have a new heart. People who want to be cleansed from their sins. People who are dissatisfied with what sin has done in their lives. And they want to do something about that. They desire to leave their sins behind and be washed clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 7, the scripture says, In the last day... That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what Jesus promises. He promises to quench our thirst. And I'm not talking about physical thirst, but that thirst that we have for satisfaction. The thirst that we have for spiritual life that's lacking in every single person. Jesus said, if you labor, if you have burdens that are upon you, you can come to me. And what he means is if you have a weight of sin that's upon you and you don't know how to get rid of that, you can come to me. You can have that burden removed if you just come to me. And what Jesus does not say, he doesn't say go to the church to have your burden removed. And he doesn't tell you to go to a priest to have that burden removed. He doesn't say to you, uh, if you have a guilt of burdens, that you can go to your rosary beads and have them removed. He doesn't say go to the baptism or any sacrament that, you might, that might be performed by anyone. The place to have all burdens removed is to come to Jesus. True seekers are those who have tried it all and they found that everything is insufficient. They've looked everywhere, but they didn't find what they were looking for. They keep looking, and they don't know where to go. And friend, that is exactly why Jesus is calling. That is exactly why he stands up and he calls us. We are to hear his voice and to obey his voice and come to him, because that's the only place for a thirsty, hungry sinner to go to be satisfied. So salvation is only in Jesus. So that's first what Jesus does. Jesus gives a call of salvation. Now secondly, what Jesus does, he gives a call of separation. Now I'm talking to every person who's in the room today who has already answered that first call. All those who have answered the call of salvation. Now first of all, you have to answer that and you can never get this idea of separation in front of salvation. 
Now, some people get this mixed up and they start trying to shed all of the bad things that they do. They try to get rid of all their bad habits and that's what they think makes them right with God. If you haven't answered the first call of salvation, the personal call of salvation, then you aren't right with God. You can stop every bad habit that you have. You can try the best that you can. You can try to be a really good person, but you still won't be right with God. The Bible says that you are the enemy of God and you will remain the enemy of God until you have been cleansed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Until you put your faith in him, you will always remain the enemy of God. And so you can stop every bad habit, but you'll just be an enemy of God with good habits. Now, I I sort of uh, relate this to watching old World War II movies, World War II movies. And uh, I remember, I used to like to watch those as I was a kid. And uh, you would see the American soldiers in these movies as they are really trying to fight for every inch of ground. They've been crawling through mud holes and they've, uh, you know, gone without sleep. They've gone without food. And you see the American soldiers in their old, dirty, dingy uniforms. But it seemed like every time that they came up on the Germans, the Germans were always dressed very nicely, very neatly. They always had their uniforms uh, pressed exactly right and all the creases in the right places. And so they were always very nice and neat. But one thing they didn't do in these movies, the Sarge didn't say, I want you to shoot only the ones in dirty uniforms. And the reason he didn't was because they were all enemies. Some of them looked very nice, they looked very clean, they were cleaned up, but they were still the enemy. So what I'm telling you today is that separation is not salvation. But God certainly does expect that our salvation will produce produce separation. So if you claim to be a saved person and there is no change that's been evident in your life, if there's nothing that's taken place in your heart that has changed you from what you were before, then you didn't understand that initial call of salvation. For those that Christ saves, he enters into their heart. He works in them. And when Christ is living in someone, something will change. I'm not talking about mechanical processes. And that's the way that some people teach it today. When they say something will change, what they usually mean, well, it's going to make a change in the way that you dress. You're you're going to wear something, something other than what you normally wear. Or you're going to cut your hair in a certain hairstyle, and that means that a change has taken place in you. You're going to change some of the habits you I have, and, and so that means there's a change. I'm not talking about that. <clears throat> I'm not talking about trying to do things that produce holiness. Holiness is already the character of a child of God. If, you, if you're saved, holiness is already your character. But as I say that, I do want you to be aware that you are called to a separate lifestyle. And I say that because I believe the Bible teaches that the character of Christ is reproduced in us. The scripture says that every person who has received the calling of salvation, and now I'm talking about those in which the call of God has been effectual, they've actually been saved by that call, they become born-again Christians. The Bible says that every single person who has Christ living in them will be conformed. In fact, it says they are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So there aren't any people, not any saved people, who will not be conformed to Christ. Our justification is when the righteousness of Christ, when Christ's perfect obedience to God's law has been transferred to us, that's when 
we get right with God judicially. All the legal aspects of salvation have been taken care of. Our justification in Christ is when we were before under the penalty of God's law. God said that we must die, we must go to hell because of the sins that we have committed. But because Christ has paid the penalty for us, and we place our faith in Jesus Christ on the basis of that faith, and not what we do, but on the basis of what Christ has done, the Scripture says we are forgiven of our sins and we're justified in God's sight. But our sanctification is the thing that we're talking about right now, and that's when we are right with God morally. Justification means that we are right with God legally, and sanctification is when we are right with God morally. So if you have answered this call of salvation, you have been justified legally, but the Bible also teaches that you are sanctified morally. So morally, we possess the character of Christ. Well, how is that character displayed? It's shown in a different lifestyle. And it's a desirable lifestyle. I mean, this is not something that's forced upon us. God doesn't say that I'm going to beat you into submission so that you do this. This is a desirable lifestyle. And that's because we have all been made, once we've been saved, we've been made to bear the image of Christ. You see, when man was created, man sinned against God, He was created with the image of God. Adam was created with that image, but he lost it. He was in perfect harmony with God. He had a character that was pure and it was upright. But when Adam sinned against God, he lost that image. He became a moral failure. And now every person that's born into the world since Adam has that same characteristic. Every single one of us are moral failures. But when we trust Christ... We have that image of God restored in us, and that image in us will cause us to separate from all others that are around us. See, I'm not the same person that I was before I was saved. Something happened to me, something changed in me, and neither are you the same person that you used to be if you've received Christ as Savior. You've been separated to God. And what God has done, he's pulled you out of this sea of humanity in which we're in. And God has set you up and made you different and given you a life that demonstrates that it's a life that's like Jesus. And the second thing, you're called to stand for the Lord. See, this is not just something that affects you in the inner being. It's not that there are just some changes that have taken place on the inside. And so you become a Christian that's, that's content to live in your own little world. There's something proactive about this, something that happens outside of you. Now, Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, let's look at that verse for just a minute. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And that means that everything that we do is by the will of God and it's for the glory of God. And so whatever it is that God demands from us, we yield to that demand and we do it without any hesitation or any fear. It's interesting that this verse actually has something to do with persecution. That's what it says in the verse just preceding it. It says, but and if you suffer, but and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye, And be not afraid of their terror, neither be ye troubled. So God is your sovereign and and God is your protector. 
And even though it is much, much harder to stand for what's right than it is to give in and to compromise with the world, yet that's what God has commanded us to do. We're always to witness a good confession for Christ. Peter says, be ready to give an answer. The word answer there is the word apologia. And what it means is, is to have well-reasoned out, thought-out defense. So the question is, are you a Christian that can give a defense of what you believe? You've been separated out by the calling of God and for the, for, by his call for the cause of Christ. And so can you give a defense? And that leads me to a third observation about this question. Have you heard his call? First of all, of course, is that have you heard the call of salvation? That's number one. Number two, have you heard that call of separation? But thirdly, have you heard it in relation to your service? Thirdly, he gives a call to service. Martha told her sister Mary, she said, The master is come, and he calleth for thee. Martha was a person that was very concerned about her service. She was one who was interested in what she could do in the area of service and serving the Lord. And she complained at one time that Mary was not as interested in service as she was. Martha was always cleaning house and preparing food, always taking care of her guests. And when Jesus came to their house, Martha was busy about doing those types of things and Mary was content to be in the other room And they're sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him as he taught. And so Martha came and complained about that. She said, Mary is not doing her fair share around here. Well, the real truth of that story is that time has to be taken to learn from Jesus. You're not ready to enter into the service of Jesus until you've been taught, until you've sat at the feet of Jesus. Now, to make an application to our message today... In order to be ready for service, of course, you have to be saved. That, that has to be done first. You can't serve God without being saved. And then you have to be spiritually prepared through a careful study of God's Word. You can't make a defense of the gospel if you don't know God's Word. And I hope that's why you're here today, so that you can learn more about it. Now, some of you, 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 you may not have point number one down yet. Maybe you, you haven't responded to the call of salvation. Others are here and you have heard it and you have believed it, but you're not where you ought to be in the area of separation. And lack of separation will affect your service. Separation will lead you into service because separation, as I said a moment ago, is for the cause of Christ. So Martha had this complaint against Mary. Mary was not serving as she thought that she should. But I want you to notice here in verse number 29 what Mary did. This is very important. As soon as she heard that the master had come and the master had called for her, the scripture says she arose quickly and came unto him. There was no hesitation about it. When she knew that Jesus had called her, she went quickly to see Jesus. Now the question is, is is, is that your response? I mean, you've heard so many messages before about service. I mean, you've heard that there's a call for service out here, but... Have you actually put that call off? Has God called you? Has he spoken to you? And maybe you felt convicted about that. And and you realize that you haven't been involved in the ministry of the church as you ought to be involved. You're not being involved. You're not doing anything for Christ in your church. And so in your mind, you're saying this. I need this. I've heard the sermons. I know that I'm supposed to do it. The Spirit has called me. But I haven't made any commitments for service. 
Is that where you are today? Now, maybe you do it because you have your, your list of objections. You don't like this or that. You don't like some procedure that the church does, and you don't like the way things are done. And so you won't serve because you can't have it your way. You know, there are many Christians that are Burger King Christians. They must have it their way, and they won't serve if they don't get it. You know, American Christians are people who love to be served. They like to come to church on Sunday and have the preacher stand up and give a prepared message and let the preacher do the work and deliver the sermon uh, three times a week or if they go one time a week to hear that sermon. They love to be served, but they don't care so much about serving others. And so they don't get involved in the ministry of the church. Now, let me give you two things to think about today as we close the message. Remember I said this is a very simple outline. These are things that you've heard before. I'm not revealing any new truth to you. I'm not laying out anything mystical here. But the fact is that many of the simple things that we already know that we're supposed to do, we don't do. That We have the hardest time doing just the simple things that God commands. Now, there are a couple of things I want to remind you of that God has commanded. First of all is that you are called to be a witness. Next week, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in, more in detail. But if you don't like this particular kind of service, then maybe you shouldn't come next week. The Bible says that you are called to be a witness. I'm not talking here about the visitation program in the church at this point. I'm not speaking about do you have a one, two, three soul winning presentation memorized. I'm not speaking about that. I'm talking about when you go to your work, when you're in your neighborhood, wherever that you might be, that people can see a difference in the way that you lead your life. Are you a go-to person at work? I think it's a good question for us. There are many Christians who, who don't beat people over the head with their Bibles when they go to work. I mean, they're just simply not the kind of person that's going to get up and make a speech to everybody. They're not going to get up and condemn their co-workers because of all the sin that goes on. And yet when somebody at work needs help, when somebody needs somebody to go to, when they know that there's something wrong in their life, they seek out a Christian that they know goes to church and one that just simply lives out the confession that they've made of Christ. This is the kind of person that through just a simple word of kindness that's been spoken, maybe it's some faith that's been shown, maybe a word that's just been dropped here or there, perhaps it can even be seeing you as a Christian with your head bowed over your lunch and praying to God. They see that and they know that you are a genuine Christian who lives out your faith. And so when they need help, what do they do? They seek out a Christian because they see something different in that person. And I've had people come to me and say, you know, I I saw a member of Berean Baptist Church or I saw another Christian who did these kinds of things and when I needed help, that's the person that I chose to go to. That is the person who's the real witness. The one who has their big soul winning presentation and at the same time will sit in judgment of others and condemn them because of the sins that they commit. And instead of showing the mercy, the love, and the compassion of Christ... They sit in judgment over everyone. That person's not a real witness. He's not the image bearer. As Brother Ekno, our missionary, would say, he's not the image bearer. He's not a real witness. Now, the real witness is the one who can point people to Jesus Christ through his life. 
Now, next week, we're going to talk about the proactive side of this because you needn't think that I'm going to leave it here and say it simply with your life because there is an active side of this where you need to give the gospel to other people. But if you are the type of person who has a judgmental attitude and all that you ever do is you tolerate no sin but your own, then you're not the kind of witness that Christ was. Even a person as great as the Apostle Paul said, he said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. So it's never me compared to you. It's always how do we compare to Christ. So how do you witness Christ? Well, if you're not witnessing with your life, then you've missed his call. Because the next thing he tells you, you're also called to be a worker. In your service, you're called to be a worker. Years ago in our, in our church in Kentucky... We used to run nine bus routes. Now, we, we weren't a very big church. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of people that were in the church, but we had a lot of working people. And uh, that meant that those who worked in the church had to have more than one job. We brought in 250 to 300 children every week. And when you bring in that many children, you've got to do something with them. When you get them to church, you have to do something with them. So what do you do? Well, you take those same people who were the bus workers, and they've been out during the week spending hours visiting on bus routes. They got up early on Sunday morning, and they uh, went to pick up the children. They got home late on Sunday afternoon from taking those children home. Those very same people were ones who also had to teach classes when they got to church. These are people that some of them sang in the choir. Some of them helped cleaned up the church building. There were some of them that helped mow the lawns, and we had seven acres of lawns in our church back there, and so there was a lot of mowing that had to go on. Some of them did that. Some did this, some did that, and some still did some other things, and they did it cheerfully. They served, and they served, and they served. All the while, they had 40-hour-a-week jobs themselves, and they had their own children that they had to take care of. But they still served. You know something? This church doesn't ask you to do that. There's nobody required to keep a schedule like that in this church. But let me ask you something. If Jesus were to come to you today and he issued a call and he said to you, forsake all that you have, give up your big bank account, give up your retirement accounts and come and follow me, the question is, could you do that? Would you do that? And we constantly hear this call of service, but the real question is, who will arise quickly and go to Jesus? You know, there's some people who ask me, well, doesn't the church have a program for this? I mean, isn't there some kind of class for that? Don't we have a support group for this particular people? Don't we have, don't we have something, some kind of thing that we can do in that area? And my question, or, or I should say my answer to people like that is, what is the church? Who is the church? The church is the members of Berean Baptist Church, the people in this congregation. And so when you come and ask me, do we have a program for that? Then my answer to you is, when are you going to start it? That's what it means to be a member of the church and to serve Christ. The master has come and he calls for you. He calls you to salvation. He calls you to separation. And he also calls you to service. I have one last statement that I want to make for you today. You can fill this out, and I sincerely hope that every one of you can make this your statement. I will arise quickly and go to Jesus. I want to ask you today, will you do that? 
In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And we don't just give an invitation for salvation. Certainly, we do want to do that. I mean, if you feel like you need to come and ask more questions about how to be saved, if you come and, and uh, you say that I, I, I have been saved and I want to tell other people about that, then, then the invitation is for you. But it's also an invitation for service. And the reason that we do this is because sometimes it helps for people just to come, and, and coming up here will solidify the commitment that they've made to the Lord. So maybe there's somebody in the congregation today that you need to arise quickly and come to Jesus. Perhaps you need to come right here and, and kneel this morning and say, I see a need in our church. I see something that needs to be taken care of. We, we need some help in a particular area. And Lord, I am willing to meet that need. There's some of you who do need to arise quickly and come to Jesus. He calls us for salvation, for separation, and for service. Have you heard his call? That's the question today. And perhaps just as importantly, did you answer his call? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've had to speak your word today. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who did come into the world to issue a call of salvation. And then he calls us to separate ourselves to the work of Christ. And then, Lord, to serve with all of our hearts and to understand that everything that we do here is for the cause of Christ. I pray, Lord, that there might be someone today who will say, I will arise quickly and I'll go to Jesus. I see a need. And I want to help meet that need. May we see people surrender to service today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.